Welcome. This podcast is brought to you by The Seat and Shrine. We are your hosts today. I am Lisa. And I am Bridget. Um, in this, in each episode, we are looking forward to sharing stories about individuals who have ties to Elizabeth and or her mission. And today we are actually going to introduce you a very special individual who knew Elizabeth Ann Seaton, has lived with her, and came to Emmitsburg with her. And her name is um, Harriet Seaton, mm-hmm. but she was also officially known as Hatch, right. too. Yeah, I love that name. Yeah. So her official name was Henrietta Madeline Seaton, and she was born on December 27th of 1787. So she was the ninth child born to William Seaton. She was the fifth girl in a row. Um, William had actually been married before to Rebecca Kirsten, and she died after having her fifth child. I don't think we know she died of tuberculosis, but um, William marries just a year later. He actually marries Rebecca's sister, Anna Maria, which was quite common then. And um, he goes on to have... um, seven more children. So he has a total of 12 children, and Harriet was the ninth child, the fifth daughter in a row. So she's kind of a similar situation as far as the family dynamics as Elizabeth was. You know, um, Elizabeth's mother had died, her father remarried, and then had more children. So then there's half-siblings. So Harriet has older half-siblings because her mother is the sister of their mother, of the first, right, correct. And so, um, but what happens to Harriet is that her mother dies very soon after Cecilia's death. So Harriet, her two brothers, Ned and Sam, and Cecilia are born within six years of each other. So when Harriet's about six years old, her mother dies. And so some of her older brothers are married at this point, and so they kind of all rally together to take care of the the young um, toddlers and babies at this point. Um, And then just six years after that, her mother dies. So Harriet's about 11, 12 years old when her mother dies. And her father dies, sorry, excuse me. And so um, these younger kids all go to live with William and Elizabeth, who are are now married, having children of their own. Um, The older children, the teenagers, are sent away to school. And so Harriet lives with them for about a year before she, too, was sent away to um, Mrs. Hayes' establishment in New Brunswick. She's sent there with her older sisters, Mary and Charlotte. Um, I'm surprised that she didn't stay with Elizabeth longer with that, considering the similarities of what Harriet going through as well as her siblings and what Elizabeth had already gone through. You know, losing her mother at a young age, Harriet lost her mother at a young age. The only different dynamic is Elizabeth had her father through her early adulthood with her children, where Harriet had lost her father early on as well. Right, correct. Yeah, that is interesting because Elizabeth, younger, is upset when her father goes away so much. But it seemed to be the thing to do, especially for upper society, to send your children away to a boarding school if you had the means to do so. Um, And Mother Seton makes a point of telling her friend that girls of 12 and 14 are much more difficult to manage than any other time of life. So those three girls, Charlotte, Mary, and Harriet, fall right into that that age. And so Harriet would spend the next three years there. So she's there till she's about 14. Um, and that's when we start to see 
um, Harriet again. There's a little bit more about her um, at Elizabeth and William's home in the spring of 1803. Lots of things are happening in that house at the time. Um, William's business has gone into bankruptcy. He's now sick with tuberculosis, and they're planning a trip to Italy. And Elizabeth is giving birth to or about to give birth to her fifth child. So a lot is happening. Elizabeth starts this prayer circle that includes Harriet's sisters, Rebecca and Cecilia, and then a friend of Mother Seton's, Catherine Duplex. And so I think this is where we really start to see Elizabeth really introducing to the girls not only a faith, but also charity work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was pretty much when the prayer circle established was amongst her work, Elizabeth's work with the Widow Society for right. small children. Right, correct. So they were kind of helping her with that. And um, even though all this was happening in the house, I think Elizabeth um, definitely thinks it's important for the girls to learn how to pray together and be in that continual prayer that Elizabeth Seton yeah. is always talking about. I think this is also during a time where they really solidify their relationship with each other. You know, mm-hmm. Cecilia is actually ends up staying with Elizabeth a lot longer than what Harry has done, but they all have developed a strong bond and friendship with Elizabeth. Um, they looked up to her and very early on in their relationship, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like Cecilia ends up living with um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth and William when she's about six or seven years old, and she pretty much has stayed this whole time, you know? And so um, she's now you know, 12 or 13 years old, Elizabeth does not send her away to school. She stays with Elizabeth. So I think there's health issues involved in that. Um, But we don't hear much about Harriet. Um, Over the next few years, there's just a little bit about her watching um, the children while William and Elizabeth are in Italy. She's there at the dock to meet um, Elizabeth when she comes back. Yeah, didn't her brother die on her birthday too? Yeah, so uh, William Seaton, Elizabeth's husband, dies on December 27th in Italy. So, um, yeah, for Harriet, her birthday now becomes a day of remembrance for her brother. Um, I don't know if they thought about birthdays the way we do today, but still the day would mark, you know, that event. Um, So I'm not sure how she would have felt about that, being a young girl. But she was very excited to have Elizabeth home. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth almost immediately starts right back into her um, prayer circle. So Harriet now is 17. And the comment that was made about her was that her family, her rare beauty, and her many accomplishments made her an object of much attention in society. So this is also when the debutante, season kind of started in the 1780s so it's in full swing by this time and Harriet is expected to be presented to society. Yeah well she's definitely part of a time where the expectations for you know young women you know getting ready to merge into adulthood is to lead a life as a wife and a mother and so you know that's kind of where it goes. And doesn't she enter a courtship with a very unexpected character that kind of blends the clan together? <laughs> yeah. So she starts um, dating, having a courtship with Elizabeth's younger half-brother, Andrew Barclay, as he liked to be called, Bailey. 
Um, we don't know. There's no letters or stories that we can find as to how this kind of came about, but it's, it's most likely, like you said, that they were together. They went to dances together. They would have been at dinner parties together. And so that is probably how it came about. Maybe some push from their families. But um, we know that by the time Harriet is 18, she is engaged to be married to Barkley. Um, he quickly, after the engagement, he goes to the West Indies, Jamaica, to make his fortune and become a doctor. And he tells Harriet, I will be back for you. And so she's okay with that. She's pretty satisfied with um, you know, him going and making this fortune and coming back for her. Um, and at this time, Elizabeth is continuing um, to have them in her home, to have this prayer circle, which Harriet just loves. Problem is, is that Elizabeth is becoming Catholic. And the family is not happy about that. And they start to put some pressure on the girls, on Cecilia and Harriet, to not see um, Elizabeth. So Elizabeth is kind of growing tired of all this prejudice against her choice of being Catholic. And she shares in her prayer circle that she's dreaming of a life with the Ursulines, who were in Montreal at the time. Um, and to Harriet, Harriet says that, um, that being part of the Ursulines is like the Catholic faith itself. It's something that is beautiful and exotic and a little bit forbidden. So this... Um, secret prayer circle and mm -hmm. the Catholic faith, I think is appealing to her, yeah. you know, at 18. Um, I think when anything is sort of like a secret society that is almost exclusive, it kind of has that unique excitedness to it. Right. It's like, oh, this is only just for us. Right. Um, and she's sharing yeah. it with the people that she loves the most, you know, Elizabeth and Cecilia. She was very, very close to Cecilia. Mm -hmm. And so she seems to be pretty happy about all this. Elizabeth is the one that um, is worried about Cecilia and Harriet. She's worried that this could be devastating to them, especially to Harriet, who's engaged, right. and what this could mean for her if, if it's discovered or if she decides to become Catholic, she could lose her engagement, and then she would be dependent on her family for her livelihood, which she knows she does not want. She didn't want it for herself. She doesn't want it for Harriet. I think Elizabeth, you know, she can definitely – um, make that assumption because she's seen it with herself. Like she's already struggling with having the support system intact with her families and friends when she announced that she is contemplating on converting to Catholicism and leaving the Protestant church. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense for her to want to shield the harshness that comes with that reality. But I think Harriet, you know, didn't really hesitate to explore that, it seems like. Um, yeah, she, yeah, she's very happy. Um, yeah. She's good with what's happening, I think. Um, but, you know, Elizabeth isn't really sure, I think, where how serious Harriet is. And she cautions her and says to her, take care how you deny your beliefs by word or letter. We are not always obliged to declare, but always on every penalty forbid to deny, which to our dear Barclay, I know you will find difficult. So I think she's telling her there, you don't have to go out and, you know, state to the whole world, I think I want to be Catholic, but she has to be fair to Barclay. If she's really thinking that and really thinking that's where she's going, she needs to tell him. Yeah. I think like Harriet probably was really trying to, lead her life by what she felt in her heart, yeah. where it was the best way to approach it. Yes. But she does kind of 
struggle with it because she can clearly almost see through the little bit device which way her path can go down and where her yeah. hardship might fall. Yeah. And what I, I think she's just just starting to maybe feel that. I think up to this point she's been thinking you know, this is exciting and fun. And I have my engagement. I don't have to worry about going out in society. I I know my future plan. I want to be married. I want to have a household, but I want this faith too. And so um, Elizabeth is worried about both the girls. She finds out very shortly after how devastating that can be, because at this point, Cecilia is living with her older brother, James, and his wife, Mary. Um, they have eight children and they need some help. Like, so, so Cecilia goes to live with them and kind of be a nanny. Um, and I love this next part about Cecilia because she's perceived as being someone very weak and sick, uh, sickly, but then, um, she becomes Catholic. Yeah. She was the one that actually announced that mm-hmm. she is converting to Catholicism and she decides to leave her brother's home and she moves back in with Elizabeth. Right. Well, she's kind of forced to leave her brother's home. Right. <laughs> and true. so um, they kind of discover by going through her personal things that she has made this choice and then they confront her about it and she stands her ground and they tell her she has to renounce the faith and she decides not to do that and to leave. I always picture her like leaving in the middle of the night, you know, with her little suitcase or whatever, but, you know, in the cold, I'm not sure how she did it. Um, but, you know, at 14, and she young. leaves and she goes to Elizabeth. So I think it was bittersweet. I think she was sad that her family felt the way they did. I think she was happy to be with Elizabeth. Well, I think that it provided her relief. You know, it was a burden off of her shoulder now that she can freely practice her faith that, you know, she felt was right to do in her heart. You know, so like if you think back on her, their little secret prayer circle, mm-hmm. you know, I imagine that took a lot of um, work to kind of conceal that. Because then at one point in time when they were living separately and the family was having, you know, a, a very negative response to the Catholic faith that Elizabeth was moving mm-hmm. in that direction, that they end up writing notes and stuff. Yeah, so that's kind of what happens next, because now that Cecilia has made this decision, now poor Harriet is told she cannot talk to either one of them. Right. And so she's right. living with one of her brothers at this time, and so they're keeping a close eye on her. She feels like she's being held prisoner. And her she gets her brothers, Ned and Sam, her two younger brothers, to help her um, deliver and leave letters for Elizabeth and Cecilia really all over town. I mean, they leave them at different locations and the boys go and pick them up and deliver them and then they get the same letters back. And so, again, it's that kind of like, okay, well, we're getting away with this. (laughs) We're being able to do this. But Harriet also needs that communication. Like she really looks forward to those those letters. At this point, Barclay's been gone almost three years. Mm-hmm. He keeps promising that he's going to be coming home. She's getting very few letters from him. Yeah. Um, Didn't she write one letter to Elizabeth over her conversion with Barclay and her love, and but the desire to be Catholic? Like, yeah, is, so, it is appealing to her. And she again is yeah. torn between these are my two different paths. And, which I assume that she didn't foresee that coming either. Right. I think she's spending a lot of this time really thinking and contemplating what to do. Um, 
she wrote a note to Elizabeth where she says, I thought of you, of my Barclay, of my own future destination, whether he would ever deny me the comforts of that dear faith I love so much. And then she continues, if I had that faith to support me under my trials, I could bear them all for him, meaning Jesus, and for him I could suffer all. I expect to suffer much, very much, before this combat is over. I look to that union, my sister. Do you think it will ever be so? So I think she's, yeah, she's thinking a lot about what to do, what the right decision is. She really wants to be with Elizabeth and um, Cecilia, and she's kind of stuck. Yeah, well, I, it's understandable because I think she really wants to be with Barclay, but he is, you know, sees away where Elizabeth is still in the immediate area and she's trying to find comfort in Elizabeth because she's definitely not getting it from her own family members, like her brothers. And because we're not sure where she's living at this point. Right, right? she's just so, living with one of the family members. Yeah. Um, and so all through that summer and fall of 1808, um, she's kind of unhappy. She really wants to see her family. She has this dream that she's going to get married and Barclay's going to understand and everything's going to be wonderful. But um, she's like 21 years old now. So she's, she's starting 20, to get older yeah. Yeah. where probably all her peers have already married because they kind of marry relatively right. young back then. Yeah, so, his 20 is getting old. Yeah. And her family is starting to notice that Barclay's not writing very much, that he keeps promising he'll come home. He says he'll come home in September. He doesn't. And so now her family um, is getting really judgmental in a way on her. And she writes to Elizabeth, four months and not a single line from B, she called Barclay, "'Tis strange." They bluntly tell me that he never will return. Is it not cruel to torture my mind by such observation? My heart feels a thousand pangs that are indescribable. This winter, I am determined to enter no society whatsoever. My mind is not in a state to enjoy it. So she's she's sad, and her family's kind of making it worse with a kind of, like, I told you so kind of um, attitude towards her. And they, I, obviously, they must be pushing her to re-enter society, mm-hmm. and she doesn't want to do it. Yeah. But things end up kind of starting to look up because in the spring of 1809, um, Elizabeth finally makes her way down to Baltimore, and Cecilia is accompanying her. And the, her, they end up having her brother, one of their brothers, Sam, accompanying her, but Harriet herself actually gets permission to go along as well to oversee yeah. the care of Cecilia and make sure they get there soon. Yeah, and, safely. I, and we don't know how she did that, how she got that permission. Um, it kind of sounds like the family has almost given up, well, they've certainly given up on Cecilia. They feel like just let Elizabeth kind of have her. She's probably never going to marry, um, and it takes her off our shoulders. We don't have to then supply a home for her. Um, But somehow Harriet convinces them to let her go too, to escort Cecilia to Baltimore. And then she is supposed to come right back with Sam. So I don't know if Sam kind of didn't hold up his bargain of getting her back to New York. I don't know if he even cared at that point. It seemed like Cecilia became a little bit of an anchor because that opportunity opened up for her to join with Cecilia growing to Baltimore, that with Cecilia's health, it sort of became that anchor of, oh, I think I can 
stay here a little bit longer and oversee because now Elizabeth's getting ready to make her way to Emmitsburg and Cecilia's going to travel there too. So she really wants to, you know, again, make sure that Cecilia is well and has the proper care she needs. So she's willing to give her support in that sense. Right. And it's perfect for Harriet because I think she does really love Cecilia and she does want to be there for her. So that was truth. But she can also use it to, you know, for her family um, and and be able to say to them, well, I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to make sure she makes it to Emmitsburg and then I'll come home. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Cecilia, before she leaves, she's struggling a little bit, too, because she doesn't want to leave Harriet. And she also doesn't want to leave her brother, James. His wife, Mary, has had their ninth child and then she dies. So James is left with a house full of kids that Cecilia has been acting as their mother, really. And so she does feel a little bit of guilt about that. Um, But she, again, Cecilia kind of steps up and does what's best for her. So I think that that's kind of um, nice to see those little points where Cecilia does that because we get the impression that, you know, she was this weak, fragile child, but yet she takes a stand against her family that Harriet's not willing to do yet. Right. You know. Right. And so they um, go to um, Baltimore and then they make their way to Emmitsburg. And so this is where things kind of get, you know, start happening. I think really quickly they stay for the first few weeks um, up at the mountaintop, as they would call it, where the seminary was that was run by Father Dubois. Um, and so um, they're there for about six weeks. Yeah. And that's where um, Harriet is starting to realize that she's getting attached to this faith. And so she she tries to guard herself. She won't go into the church when they're having mass. She'll walk in the woods by herself. Mm-hmm. Um, she had become very close to a priest in Baltimore, Father Bavade, who um, is trying to encourage her to give up her engagement, to give up her family, and and become Catholic. Yeah. I still think that like Harriet is still following her heart and wish was she wanted to remain in the comfort of her sisters, you know, both Cecilia and Elizabeth. But as she's joining this young band of women religious in Elizabeth's company, she's developing a relationship with them too. I think even though it's still at that time where she I think she is using Cecilia's now illness as this like she's convincing herself that she's only there to help Cecilia safely in her new home here in Emmitsburg and that she is going to go back to New York. But really, as the week started going by, Harriet slowly is, it looks like Harriet's slowly not making plans to go back to New York because there's an opportunity that finally came up where Elizabeth was never really forcing Harriet, you know, to the Catholic faith, but she definitely embraced her when Harriet was ready, because like right. for a period of time up in the mountain, like you said, she, you know, when they were in mass, Harriet would go for a walk in the woods and do something else. But eventually that one day comes when she actually joins in on the right. mass. Right. And yeah. I mean, she's starting to feel a lot of things here. She's not hearing from Barclay at all. And then she has Father Babade writing her several times a week trying to counsel her. And so Elizabeth is really good at first. Like she doesn't put any pressure on Harriet. She never puts pressure on Harriet, but she does begin to see 
where Harriet's almost outside looking in like, oh, I want to be in there. And so she tells her, um, if you cannot perceive the sweetness of his presence as we do, at least you might say your prayers. And I don't think that was the problem. I think she understood yeah. the presence of the Lord, and I think she believed it. Yeah. She would. She knew once she entered that church, the physical building of the church. She no longer a, could deny it right. any longer. Right. And then that's when her decision is finally made. Now her path becomes a little bit more clear right. of which way she's going to go. Right. And that's, you know, Elizabeth had told her that way back in New York. You know, you cannot deny your faith. You know, there's, there's um, something that said, you know, heaven help the Catholic that denies the presence of the Lord, you know, if they believe it. So she um, goes into the church to say her prayers and she keeps going back into the church to say her prayers. And so she takes Elizabeth, asks Elizabeth to go on a walk with her through the woods. And she says to her, it is done, my sister. I am a Catholic. So she knows this is what she wants. So by July, July 22nd, she becomes Catholic on the feast of Mary Magdalene, her middle name, Magdalene. Um, and she's so excited. She's excited to know that people are praying for her on the mountain. People are praying for her in Baltimore. She has all this attention. And I don't mean to say that Harriet needed the attention. I think she liked feeling loved. Exactly. And it's going back to just probably this, we can assume she felt a relief, you know, here for the last really several years, she had the burden of I, the Catholic faith, the practice is appealing to me. I believe in that, but I have to try to stay loyal to her family at the same time and not knowing where it's going to go with Barclay. You know, she's torn in a lot of different reasons. But now that she's finally in there and no longer can deny it, I assure that, you know, her heart opened up even more. A weight's been lifted off her shoulder. She knows that she doesn't need to go back to New York. She's safe here. It's a very good environment. She has the support she needs probably for the first time in quite some time. She has comfort and peace of mind, but she's still torn because there is still Barclay. So right. now she made the decision. Right. Now she kind of got to face really what the repercussions that might come with her decision. Right. And she takes her time getting there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Barclay doesn't help himself because in this time uh, um, she receives a letter from him saying that he plans to stay eight to 10 years longer in Jamaica. You know, she's going to be in her thirties by the time he comes back. And, wow. You know, both her mother and her aunt, they died around this time. So, you know, she's thinking, how much time will I have to be a wife and a mother? And he doesn't seem to be in any hurry to come back to me. Um, and so she continues on. And in September, she has her first Holy Communion. She renews her baptismal vows. She enters the sodality of the Sacred Heart. And then she writes Barclay and she explains to him her spiritual struggles, the decisions that she's made, and she hopes that he will understand. She still wants to be a wife and mother. She still wants to marry him. And she's still wearing the little miniature little choker. The miniature, the choker. <laughs> yeah, the choker around her neck that has yeah. an image of, of him. Yeah. Um, so everyone can kind of see that she's engaged to this man. And um, she even says that she would leave Cecilia to marry him. Um, and he writes back very quickly, which is, which is funny. 
which is funny because, <laughs> like, he'd already stated, like, he'd been gone for years and years. The letters are fewer. Even her own family on a seat side were torturing, oh, he's never coming back. And then she writes him, oh, basically this epiphany she had, this life-changing decision she made, but don't want to think. And now he writes back to her that quickly. Right. Like, where were <laughs> right. you all the other times? And know? it's, it's a wow. big letter. I mean, he writes back, and the first thing he says is that you should try a different kind of letter when you're writing me. He warns her that if she has joined the church, that he will scold her, that he will reprimand her for that. Um, But in the same letter is when he tells her that he's going to be gone for many more years. And then he kind of ends it with this whole gem of a story of how um, someone that he knows had left his, his mistress. And when he came back um, a few years later, he found out that she was old and ugly and he asked Harriet, "Is um, you know, I'm kind of wondering, is that going to be you, <laughs> or are you still the beautiful girl that I left?" Well, so. I mean, she's no longer in her teens. Like you've been gone for a number of years. Right. She's growing up. By the time now, if you're going to, again, like he said, going to stay away even longer, right. she's going to be in her 30s and still not married. Right. And that is really unheard of. I mean, right. unless you're a widow, then be married. But for right. a first time married, right, not in her 30s. So, I mean, in our minds today, yeah, she's still going to be a beautiful girl. But 15 to 30, obviously you change. And so, but. Grow a little older. But for Harriet, she burns the letter. And it's like, exactly. hey. <laughs> I know. Thank God she burns the letter. Like, you, you know, and way she, to be strong. She decides, you know what? I have this other life that I really like. Yeah. And well, I, she found peace. Right. She found peace. Right. So she decides to um, stay with them. Um, she still has one more challenge that she needs to do and we will get that to next (laughs) so yes harriet has another challenge a big challenge she still hasn't told her family in new york and she doesn't really seem to be in any hurry to do that Um, however they're starting to hear some rumblings that harriet has converted so one of the seton brothers writes cecilia he tells her that he's heard a rumor um, that Harriet has had this conversion. He actually heard the rumor when he was out eating and overheard people talking about it. Um, and so he writes Cecilia, he wants to know, um, is this true? And he pretty much says, you know, that all of us are not going to write Harriet until she writes us telling her what's going on. And so she waits, she waits until November. And I think part of the reason she waits is because um, she goes through confirmation in October 20th. 1809, she goes through confirmation in the Stone Farmhouse with um, Elizabeth's daughter, her niece, Anna Maria, and Bishop Carroll is the one that does the confirmation for them. So she's still proceeding, and she's still reaffirming herself into the Catholic faith. Um, So she's not really looking for her family reaction any longer. Right. Even though she knows she needs to tell them. Right. Right. And I think she knows they're going to be upset. I don't think she realizes how upset. Um, So she decides in early November to write her family, and the response is immediate, immediate. She gets lots of letters that are not so nice (laughs) letters. Um, The first one comes from her aunt, and she starts off with that she is not pleased. Um, She feels like Harriet has been taken advantage of to some degree, and 
she tells her that it's unnatural for her to be here, to be part of a nunnery, that she was meant for society. And she reprimands her for abandoning Barkley. <laughs> That's insane because, like, Barkley really abandoned her. Right. Right. And for years now, the family's been telling her. He's not coming yeah. back. <laughs> and he's not good for you and that you need to end this. And wow. now all of a sudden they're making her feel bad for taking this step. And it had nothing to do with Barkley, really. I mean, she was still hoping that he would understand and would still want to marry her. Um, and then she kind of puts it on Elizabeth. And she's thinking for sure, this aunt, that Harriet has been manipulated by Elizabeth. And she says, I must insist on your giving me the name of your author, or I shall punish you as the cruel girl to destroy Barclay's peace of mind, basically. So she's thinking Elizabeth is here in Emmitsburg telling Harriet what to write and what to say and what to do. And Harriet begins to doubt herself. She begins to think, was I cruel to Barclay? Is this my fault? Have I lost this relationship? Um, And then she gets a letter from her brother, Sam. And Sam is a little bit nicer, but he lays on the guilt, saying how disappointed he is um, in her. Well, I think it's because it's going back to earlier in the year when they traveled down to Baltimore with Cecilia that he might have felt like he was taken advantage of because he would put to go back with Sam. But I think Sam, he... It would make sense that he would be a little bit kind of because he did see where everybody was at, like did see where Elizabeth was at. So perhaps maybe there was some sort of understanding, maybe tolerance. Right. But right, and and he probably was a little hurt. He had been very close to both Harriet and Cecilia, um, and he becomes a banker, but. Um, Sam Seaton throughout his whole life, he never marries, but he does a lot of charitable work. So he overall seemed like a good person. Um, but what I love is he tries to tell Harriet, you know, I am a banker. I make a good living. And then he says to her, what a nice housekeeper you would make. And <laughs> he tells her, why don't you just come back to New York and be my housekeeper? And I'm thinking, yeah, that's what she wants to do. She wants to go clean house for her brother. I'm just so glad that she could be like, no, that is definitely something I do not want to do. Right. And she didn't want to do that. She never, ever wanted to be dependent on her family. She didn't um, want to be an unmarried woman that had to rely on them for her expenses. Um, But the next two letters are the most damaging, I think. She gets a letter from Mr. and Mrs. Ogden. And who they are, are Charlotte, her sister Charlotte, and then Governor Ogden, as they like to call him, um, because her sister Charlotte marries young at 15, and um, they are pretty cruel, I think, to Harriet at this point. Um, Governor Ogden's letter is four pages long. Um, He reprimands her for leaving the faith. He pushes it all towards Elizabeth also, he kind of goes after the church, and um, he says that the church is full of popish errors, belongs in the dark age, superstition, that Catholics are delusional, um, there's corruption involved, primitive um, purity. He just goes through all these things that is wrong with the church, and then he pretty much says that um, he calls Elizabeth a siren, 
And he said that, you know, it's his hope that everything related to the church in that state, meaning Maryland, burns to the ground. So it's a pretty, pretty harsh letter. He's angry. He's well, very angry. Well, you really angry. see the anti-Catholicism coming mm-hmm. out in his letter. And that was the society that Elizabeth was dealing with mm-hmm. in New York. That's one reason why she left New York was mm-hmm. because of that intolerance and a level of harshness and right. compassion and understanding. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and um, so then Charlotte writes next. Charlotte writes, um, Elizabeth. Elizabeth receives that letter here in Emmitsburg on December 9th. She writes to Harriet. Hopefully um, Harriet never saw this letter at this time. Harriet is suffering an illness. Um, Charlotte's letter is short and to the point. And she starts off with, oh, my dear Harriet, how have you disappointed those hearts who were so tenderly attached to you? What a painful affliction you have caused. And, And so that's the beginning of the letter. And then by the end of the letter, she says that she, I have loved you as a sister, but I have felt for you as one that was unworthy of that title. Gosh. So I really hope, like what you were saying, that <laughs> perhaps because by this time, Harriet really has gotten very ill and she's pretty much bedridden at this point. They don't really quite understand what's going on with her. Right. She's just very right. sick. That hopefully you're right that Mother Seton actually was able to interject and get the letter first and maybe had read it and then decide not to show Harriet because I can only imagine what kind of a state that could have put Harriet in. Yeah. And I think as like a mother figure to Harriet, I mean, I know I would have kept that letter from her. Um, She didn't need to know that right then. I mean, if she recovered, then maybe they would have discussed it. But this is interesting because this is a couple that Elizabeth herself never really forgives. That's right. That's right. Later on, the um, Mr. Organ or Governor actually shows a little bit more compassion and willingness to support Elizabeth (laughs) and her charity and her work. And and then turns around and blames it on his wife, saying it was Charlotte the reason. So there's another stand-up guy for you. Yes, he, he tells Elizabeth later that it was Charlotte that had the problem that he had no problem with Harriet becoming um, Catholic. So he doesn't remember the four page letter, I guess. But um, so, yeah, as her children grow up and visit New York, um, she doesn't really want them involved with that couple in particular. Um, so as but we, this is pretty much the last that we really hear of the family to Harriet because again like I said Harriet gets very ill and now we're creeping up close to Christmas and she really is now bed bound um the doctor comes and visit and she ends up getting her last rites correct so she has what they said inflammation of the brain um and she would not speak to her family or Barkley again at this point um and we have, like, we know um, as we got closer to Christmas, she's starting to go in and out um, and not really be very coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elizabeth recounts this in her book, Dear Remembrances. So she actually recounts Harriet's last days. Right. So by December 18th, which is the Feast of the Expectation, is the last time that Harriet is really aware of what's going on. And she she receives communion. Um, And what Elizabeth writes that Harriet said was, all peace and love, hear the beating of his heart in the Garden of Gethsemane, see how they scourge him. 
O my Jesus, I suffer with you. Why will you not bring him to me, my Jesus? You know that I believe in you, I hope in you, and I love you. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think they're very beautiful words from a girl that was obviously in a lot of pain. Um, but Elizabeth also says that over the next, those last few days after that, up until she dies, um, she was singing. She was singing um, um, songs that they sang during Mass. And so she just really stayed focused, I think, on the Lord her last few days. Um and so she dies on the early morning of December 23rd, I think. there's People have written that she died on the 22nd. Some say the 23rd. But again, when Elizabeth writes George Weiss, he says, she says that it was 2 in the morning. So um, we're not really sure. But a few days before Christmas, she is the first to be buried here on Christmas Eve um, under the oak tree, which she picked that spot. Yeah, a couple months prior to, um, they the community had walked the property, knowing that they needed a cemetery location. And yeah, yeah, she was what, chewing an apple, and when she got down to the core, she painfully threw it at the oak tree, and from where it fell, she declared that where she wanted to be buried. For who, but again, I really don't think Harriet or anyone really foresaw it would be Harriet be the first to have died in the community because of how sick Cecilia was. Correct. Everyone thought that it was going to be um, Cecilia. And even Elizabeth's own son, William, mm -hmm. was sick. Right, that's And right. they thought he was going to pass away. They had made a blanket for him to be buried in, um, and Harriet ended up being yeah. buried in that blanket. Um, and I think how Elizabeth got through the grief of Harriet, the first one to die in a community, because I can only imagine how tough that was. Right. Um, but, you know, coming into a new chapter in not just Elizabeth's life, but everybody's life, especially Harriet. You right. know, she really just started a new chapter, and now she right. had died. Um, but she ended up writing some correspondences. Right, and I think she, she, she did what she always did. She put pen to paper, and, and you can kind of see her grieving through the letters. But the first letter, one of the first letters she writes is to Barclay. And she yeah, yeah. she tells him uh, that Harriet has died. She um, kind of reprimands him a little bit for the, his last letter. She um, tells him that Harriet burnt that last letter. Um but it's also interesting that, that Barclay does write Elizabeth back and almost um, tells her that he forgives her for what she's done and that he still looks at her as a sister. Um, and he forgives Elizabeth right. for what she has done. Wow. <laughs> right. So um, he's still, you know, you're kind of thinking, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. um, but, but he ended up dying in Jamaica, correct. actually later. Uh, 1811, so almost so. two years later. Um, and so he never makes it back home. He's buried there. Um, and, and so we don't know. You hope that maybe he, he kind of saw the way that he treated Harriet, maybe, hopefully. Maybe he um, died from a broken heart. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, but she, she writes her friend, um, Julia Scott, you know, who was her really good friend. And she writes her that the night that, Harriet dies, and she said that I have had many heavy hours since I wrote you the death of my sweet and darling Harriet, who was the life and joy of my heart for many pa many months past. Um, 
And she, you know, she writes George Weiss and kind of gives him a play-by-play. That's where we learn that Harriet died at 2 in the morning. Um, It's now 5 o'clock in the morning, um, and Elizabeth is kind of pondering, um, you know, what has happened and, and where Harriet is and... And, and says, I can only offer a mother's heart, a mother's sighs, and a mother's tears. And then, interestingly, she writes Bishop Carroll, who has just lost a really good friend of his. And, and he writes back to Elizabeth, and, it, and he says, It seems to be the order of divine providence to lead you to perfection through the road of sufferings, interior and exterior. May you always correspond with the graces bestowed on you and walk the way of the cross with resignation and consequently with much spiritual profit. So I find this interesting because the first part he's saying, it looks like you're going to suffer, you know, in and outwardly through these deaths. Um, But then he cautions her to be graceful in her correspondence. So interesting. um, So maybe he's read these letters or heard about these letters and he knows that Elizabeth is going to be writing a few letters to the family. Um, So it it was very wise of him to say that to her, I think, the way that he did. Um, But yeah, so she she continues to write these letters. She writes to the Feliki family in Italy and kind of, again, gives a play by play. And I think you can kind of see how she's healing herself. Mm-hmm. through these letters. Yeah. And actually when she writes the Feliki family, it's May and now Cecilia has died too. So she now has several deaths that she needs to um, tell them about. And you can see how she's beginning to accept that this is going to be part of their norm. Yeah. Um, but that isn't really the last that Harriet comes up. You know, yeah. there's an event that ends up occurring yeah. In um in the early year of eighteen eleven. So right. over a little over a, a year, year. A little over yeah. a year later, um, Sister Cecilia O'Conway has a dream of Harriet. And she says that that Harriet told her in this dream that Cecilia was in heaven, that she was with Mary, but that Harriet herself was still suffering. Um, for her sins, and that they needed to continue to pray for her and offer masses to her. And I like Mother Seton's reaction because she tells um, George Weiss, a benefactor, in a letter that she's not sure that Cecilia actually talked to Harriet. She doesn't know. But what it did remind them was that they needed to continue praying for people that have passed away. And she says that it has awakened prayers of the whole house for Harriet. Um, that they need to remember to continue to pray for these dear souls. And so I think that that's kind of a, a nice way to end Harriet, that mm-hmm. she was she was still here. <laughs> yeah. It's you like, know. even though that Harriet converged into the Catholic faith and her practicing within the Catholic faith, being here in Emmersburg is short-lived, it wasn't all for naught. You know, like her, Harriet's last act, I guess we could safely say, is to remind us to pray for those that we have lost, right. you know, and not just in 1809, 1810 to 1821 right. during the time. I think that really can carry over to today. You right. know, we can look to right. Harriet as an example to what we need to remember to do. Right. Right. And just kind of ending it with just the sweet soul that she always was, mm-hmm. you know, and, 
And so we'd and like following the heart, you know, following right. your heart too with it. Right. Which is what she did. Yeah. She did for sure. Um, so we'd like to end our podcast with kind of answering the question, um, how did Elizabeth um, affect these lives that we're going to talk about? And for me, I think she was just so gentle and so good with Harriet. Um, she cautioned her when she needed to be cautioned. She advised her, but she never um, judged her. Yeah. She doesn't tell her what to do with Barclay. She doesn't tell her what to do with even coming into the faith. Um, she just kind of lets her be and guides her in a very um, gentle way, I yeah. think. And, and, and almost an unconditional support. Wherever Harriet would have chosen, whether it was the Catholic faith or to stay Protestant and marry, I right. think Elizabeth still would have supported her. Yeah, I agree. I think she would have been okay with that. Um, but she was that strong, um, I think, um, person for Harriet. She didn't waver. So Harry could always talk to her or go to her, and she could trust her for sure. And, you know, at a time when her family seemed to be pretty cruel. Yeah. Well, so that's the end of our podcast, and we hope that you guys enjoyed listening, and please look forward to our next episode. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.